Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. Be sure to tell other sports fans you know about Hallowed Ground. I'll be working on a couple of exciting podcast-related projects this summer, so stay tuned for more. You can follow along on Twitter at HGPod and Instagram at HallowedGroundPod. Today on the show, I chat with Dave Kaplan, who was instrumental in the creation of the City of Baseball Museum at CHS Field in St. Paul, Minnesota. That's the home stadium of the St. Paul Saints an independent baseball team for most of their recent existence, but is now the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. Dave was also friends with the late great Yogi Berra and helped create the Yogi Berra Museum, so I had to ask him about that too. For my overtime segment this week, I'll be exploring the career of Tony Stone. She was a Twin Cities native and one of several women who played professionally in the Negro Leagues. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dave. Well, today on Hallowed Ground, I'm speaking with Dave Kaplan, lead consultant at the City of Baseball Museum in St. Paul, Minnesota. Dave, how are you? Very well, Andrew. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I figured we could start with your background because I know you've worked in sports writing and then you were instrumental in also creating another museum uh, besides the City of Baseball Museum. So can you just walk us through your background? Yeah, so I used to work in something called newspapers. Um, I was uh, a sports editor at the uh, New York Daily News uh, in the late 80s and, and through the 90s. And a project was uh, starting to develop in my hometown of Montclair, New Jersey, on the campus of Montclair State University. They were building a minor league stadium, and they were going to name it after Yogi Berra, who happened to be a resident of Montclair, and, and it was a, a way to honor him in his hometown, his adopted hometown. He's from St. Louis, as you know. And the thought was to build sort of a gallery uh, next to the uh, stadium where people could learn about his life and his just you know Hall of Fame career. And then it turned into something bigger, uh, more of an education center, and using Yogi as a as a vehicle to uh, teach kids about, you know, uh, life lessons through sports, honorable values and uh, sportsmanship, uh, social history. And Yogi's life was really kind of a, just a, an amazing tool to, uh, to teach people, just in given, given all that he accomplished in, you know, throughout his, uh, his career. Yeah, I wondered what that connection was, but if he was living in Montclair, that would have been a way to honor him. And he's since passed this probably 10 years ago, maybe? He passed away in 2015. He was age but he had lived, you know, since moving from uh, St. Louis, he had lived in New Jersey over a half century. Okay. And you actually collaborated on several books with Yogi, is that right? I did. I did. It was really uh, a privilege to uh, work with him and, uh, you know, you know, just be part of, uh, you know, his later years and, uh, you know, accompanying him to Yankee Stadium and uh, spring training where he really um, kind of reconnected with the game after having a disconnection with the Yankees for, for a while. Yeah. You're probably asked this a lot, but do you have a favorite Yogi Berra story that you would want to share? Oh, gosh. Uh, there, there are just so many, um, you know, the sayings, he doesn't even know he says these things. Uh, and they, they are really, really humorous. I'm, I'm dry. I can't even name one right now, but, uh, you know, he's just an absolute, what you see is what you get with Yogi. He was just uh, the most unassuming, genuine uh, person. The way he treated people was with the, just, you know, immense respect. Um, and he's just, uh, just a real gentle soul. He really was kind of this, you know, an American original in, in so many ways. Yeah. He, he was, lived an awesome life, and I was a catcher in high school myself and wore number eight, and it, it wasn't really an honor of Yogi, but it was, it was just kind of a cool connection, and 
he was a, a great man and it was awesome you got to um, work with him uh, absolutely what was your kind of initial contact with the saint paul saints because that's the museum we're talking about yeah. today and they used to be a indie ball team and now they're affiliated with the twins more directly up in the twin cities but how did you kind of get connected with that group so i had a uh, i'd go to yankee stadium a lot with yogi as as you mentioned and one of the gentlemen um, who i'd see there a lot was a guy named marv goldklang marv is, happens to be the owner of the saints and a few other uh, minor league teams and uh, he happened to be a limited partner of the yankees as well and Marv, since helping bring the Saints to reincarnating them in 1993, uh, the Saints had been a, you know, an affiliated minor league team for years, you know, with the Brooklyn Dodgers and, you know, for the White Sox for, for many years. When the Minnesota Twins came in in 61, uh, the Saints disappeared. Marv helped bring them back along with Bill Murray and Mike Beck in 93. And I think Marv, we were talking and he said that, um, you know, there's so much history in St. Paul, baseball history, that our fans have no clue about. I mean, they had an amazing connection with the Murderer's Row Yankees. Miller Huggins, the manager of those Yankees, that was a limited partner of the, of the Saints back in the 20s. He used to bring the, the, the you know, Ruth and Gehrig and, you know, the, the team there for, for, for exhibition games. Uh, they were sort of an unofficial pipeline huh. to those great, great Yankee teams. Um, a lot of those murderers road teams actually played for the, for the St. Saint Paul Saints in the 20s, including Leo DeRocher was the starting Saints shortstop in 1927. Um, so Mars Lattes was this untold history that the fans, you know, who loved the whole thing with, you know, the Saints and fun is good and they're, outlandish promotions but there was so much history to be told and what part of that was the fact that charles comiskey was the original owner of the saints and then moved the team to chicago to become the white Sox. and so the chicago white Sox, for example are really the original saint paul saints he just started uh, talking and he said how do we build a museum and you know one thing led to another and he just thought it was just another great vehicle for their fans to have Going to CHS Field and seeing and seeing St. Paul Saints baseball just to get this wonderful, rich history and also the Saints' place in popular culture, which is just really re pretty remarkable as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about some of that because going growing up and going to Kauffman Stadium, like I did for Royals games, they built a Hall of Fame structure at their stadium, and it's kind of rare in a, a little bit of ways. There's the Reds and the Royals and um, St. Paul down in the minor leagues, but what is that kind of impact on fans from your perspective, if they can go to a game and part of that ticket would include admission to the museum at the stadium? What does that add? Oh, it's just such a great added value. Uh, you know, there's so much um, to do, obviously, in the Saints game because they have the crazy promotion, but it's just another another aspect of uh, of their fan experience. Uh, they can walk through. There's uh, there's interactives in the museum. One of the, my favorite uh, displays is this interactive tech table, Andrew, which uh, people can just push a button and just see all this amazing connection in Saints history. George Hallis, you know, when the founders of the NFL, Papa Bear, played for the St. Paul Saints before he started the Chicago Bears. You know, the Comiskey, as I mentioned, uh, Daryl Strawberry, you know, you know, resurrected his career as a St. Paul Saint. They had the first female pitcher in the minor leagues, Isla Borders. And, uh, you know, Charles Schultz uh, grew up in St. Paul and you know, loved baseball. He was a huge St. Paul Saints fan and would actually incorporate baseball so much in his Peanuts cartoons. 
Okay. I didn't even realize that Charles Kaminsky had created the Saints back in the day. Was that around the turn of the century? And can you kind of talk about how the, they originally started? Yeah, he owned a, a team in Sioux City, Iowa, moved them to, he was such a smart businessman. He was a, you know, kind of a pioneering uh, player and manager, but he was a, really had a very shrewd business mind. Moved the team to St. Paul in 1895 and helped build Lexington Park, which really became the uh, Saints Stadium for almost like six decades. Uh, but he did he did help start create the American League and move the team to Chicago in 1900. Uh, then the Saints became affiliated in the you know American Association under new you know new ownership. But it was really Comiskey that started the Saints, and uh, he owned them for five years and um, was you know very very successful. Okay, and then from there, what were the various iterations of it? Did it stay the Saints through that whole time? That nickname. Pretty much. They kept the name the Saints. As I said, in you know in the 1920s, they've had this amazing Murderers Row Yankees connection. And then really in the 40s, uh, Branch Rickey saw, you know, was built, moved to Brooklyn and was really developing the Brooklyn Dodgers farm system. So the, the St. Paul Saints became one of the two top affiliates of the Brooklyn Dodgers. So you had guys like Duke Snyder, Roy Campanella becoming St. Paul Saints. Campanella integrated the American Association. Hmm. You have all these great players. Don Zimmer was a big star for the Saints in the early 50s. Bill Sharman, the Hall of Fame basketball player, played. And a lot of people don't realize that, too, that we have a signed basketball from Bill Sharman, the really top prospect of the Brooklyn Dodgers who played for the Saints in the early 50s. So you have all these amazing baseball people. Ralph Branca, who gave up Bobby Thompson's home run, played for the Saints. And so you have all these remarkable uh, figures in baseball history passing through St. Paul. Yeah. And then they have that close proximity to Minneapolis and the twins haven't always been in Minneapolis. They came from the senators, I believe, but then Minneapolis has had baseball of their own too. So what was that kind of rivalry like with the twin cities? It was, it was intense, Andrew, because uh, it was sort of the minor league version of the Brooklyn Dodgers, New York Giants rivalry. You had these two intercity teams uh, just separated by, by seven miles and the Minneapolis Millers were the top farm team for the Red Sox. And then for many years, the New York Giants. So you have guys like Willie Mays, uh, Monty Urban playing for the uh, Minneapolis Millers. They play a doubleheader one game in St. Paul. And the next In the afternoon, they, they take the streetcar, play the second game in um, Minneapolis at Nicolet Park. So those games were just, it, it was a fierce rivalry. Uh, the fights would break out. Uh, the games were packed. And this went on really for, for six decades. Okay. Yeah. And then when the Twins came to town, that probably affected both teams, correct? It did. So it was really, it was the elimination of, uh, of minor league baseball in Minneapolis and St. Paul. So it was very bittersweet. That's why you see the Twins logo. The Minneapolis one is Minnie uh, shaking hands with uh, Sam the St. Paul Saints, and uh, they're shaking hands across the Mississippi River saying, we did it. They both team, both cities were really trying to bid for uh, Major League Baseball in the late 50s, but the Minneapolis came, they played, you know, at the Met in Bloomington, and, um, you know, that really was the end of minor league baseball for years until the Saints came back in the early 90s. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, Met. I've, I've been to Minneapolis once. We went to the Mall of America, and you can see, like, where – 
home plate used to be in the seat where Harmon Killebrew hit a home run or something. So that was my my personal like connection to that stadium, even though I wasn't alive to see it. But yeah. that's kind of neat how that area has all of that history with the Twins and now Target Field and all of that. And then the Saints affiliated with the Twins now um, due to the minor league restructuring too. So any thoughts about how that has kind of affected the Saints partnership with the Twins? Yeah, so the Saints, you know, prided themselves. They really helped were a catalyst for great independent uh, minor league baseball in the early 90s when baseball was kind of struggling. They had the, the labor issue in 94. The, the Saints were really just, you know, become an incredibly successful minor league operation with their crazy outlandish promotions and being kind of a place for second chance guys who were really on Kevin Millar. Uh, nobody wanted Kevin Millar until the Saints gave him an opportunity. Then he, you know, he helps the Red Sox, you know, and and the curse. The Saints are actually going to honor him this year, retiring his number. And then just all these players that came through. But it was just really fun, zany, you know, entertainment. And they pride themselves on being independent and not being beholden to a lot of the rules of, of being, you know, affiliated with a major league team. So uh, they were able to coexist with the twins. They kind of would, would, would tweak the twins a little bit, uh, you know, with, with kind of funny promotions and stuff. But, but right now, the, the uh, partnership seems extremely strong. Uh, the fact that the twins can call up a player who's just, you know, playing, you know, seven miles away. Uh, they're under their watch. You know, the fans can now watch these guys develop and see, you know, the future twin stars, right. You know, as St. Paul Saints, while still getting that great ballpark, you know, fun experience that the Saints have always been known for. Yeah. I believe they're the closest AAA to major league affiliate. And that's seven miles. Like that's yeah. less than where I'm from in Kansas city suburbs to downtown Kansas city. So like, that's a really um, close connection. And I went to school in Wichita and that's where the twins new double A affiliate is the Wichita wind surge. So I saw some of those players move up to the saints from the wind surge. So that's what I love about minor league baseball as well as those promotions and the emphasis on fun and entertainment and families and the lower ticket prices. And what have been some of those promotions over the years that the saints have done that are kind of captured in that museum? Well, they've always had a, uh, you know, the pig as a mascot, you know, some of the names are just, just, just there. every year they have a big promotion to name the pig. I think recently it's been Madonna, they have Space Ham, Kevin Bacon, one of the uh, Kardashians they call Lardashian, uh, but uh, so they've always had that. They've had, you know, just wacky, wacky bobblehead uh, promotions, uh, really making fun at, at, at some some interesting people. Uh, one of my favorites was really the 40th anniversary, I think, of uh, Animal House. They had one gigantic food fight, you know, in the whole stadium, which was really something to behold. They have really kind of set a, a, an industry standard with their with their promotions. Uh, and that's probably they're about as known for that as, as, as much as anything, I think. Yeah. And they have those pop culture connections, too. And some of that I'm not even familiar with. But Bill Murray being part of that original group, it sounds like, and Mike Beck coming from Bill Vec's lineage and all of that. So what are some of those pop culture connections? Oh, well, well Bill is, uh, you know, we, we did a promotion last year uh, on the 20th anniversary of uh, Space Jams. And Bill is sort of like the, uh, the unsung hero of that film, you know, which was really kind of a cultural touchstone. And Bill used to, you know, you would hand out programs, you know, <laughs> when they, the Saints would play at Midway 
Midway Stadium. And Mike Beck, uh, you know, just um, as you mentioned, you know, the son of uh, the greatest promoter in baseball history, the promotional genius that, that Bill Beck was. Mike helped bring back Minnie Minoso to play uh, his seventh decade in baseball, uh, which is the only ball player to do that. I mean, Minnie was in the 70s and was, you know, got a couple of bats for the uh, for the Saints. But his whole mantra just has permeated the whole Saints organization. Fun is good. And, you know, they, they take that literally, you know, that everything they do just is to put a smile on people's face. Yeah. And that's, that's a kind of special part about going to a game and the family can go for not very much and get a bobblehead or get um, cotton candy or whatever, and then get to see the museum, get to see a game. And um, I need to go up there. It looks like a really nice stadium and I love AAA baseball. It's a, it's a great environment. Andrew, it's, a, it's an amazing stadium. Uh, it's, it's, they, they say it's probably the greenest stadiums, you know, in, in the, in the country and it's uh in the developed it's an old warehouse section of st paul called lower town and it's really the stadium was sort of the uh the catalyst for bringing that whole neighborhood back so it's just a beautiful sight lines it's uh it's really something and the, and the museum itself is right down the left field concourse and as you said uh, you know people who can just purchase a ticket there can walk in the museum anytime during during the game what are some of the other artifacts they would see, or do you have a favorite artifact that you helped kind of put that together in the museum? Yeah, so some of the things are uh, really, really pretty cool. You know, they have uh, Isla Borders, you know, the you know, female uh, pitcher, uh, you know, just heard the glove that she used when she was pitching in the minor leagues and pitching for the Saints, some championship rings of uh uh, you know, some of the players signed baseballs from, uh, you know, Duke Snyder. Um, one of the really cool things is this satin jacket that the, the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, when night baseball was just starting to come about in the 1940s, the Dodgers decided to uh, have these satin jackets so people could see them better during, during the night games. And we had, it didn't, the idea didn't really take it only there for a few years, but, uh, you know, it's on display. Uh, some pitchers who pitched, pitch for the Saints, so those jackets are now in, in the museum. There's also one of the very cool things is a, a floor map, um, which shows you where Roy Campanella lived when he was playing for the Saints, the childhood home of Dave Winfield, who grew up in St. Paul. And also there's a real special section on uh, black baseball, the pioneers. I mean, uh, you know, St. Paul has this unbelievable heritage of baseball. Uh, Tony Stone, the, the female uh, player who, you know, played in the Negro Leagues, grew up in the sandlots of St. Paul. We have a little exhibit about her and the St. Paul colored golfers pre-Negro Leagues were really the eminent uh, black baseball team in, you know, in the country. Yeah, I was going to bring that up and I'll link to a talk on the website that I think you were a part of about black baseball in the Twin Cities. And yeah, Tony Stone being from there and I was just at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City a couple of weeks ago and they have a display about Tony Stone and the other women that were in the Negro leagues. And I didn't even really realize she was from St. Paul and, and has that connection. Did she ever have any affiliation with the saints? She actually did believe it or not. Uh, she got her, uh, when she was growing up in St. Paul, uh, the, when the manager, uh, Gabby street in the late thirties, let her, you know, participate in a clinic, you know, that was really for boys in the late thirties. And uh, she always said that really helped her foster her, her love of baseball and kind of get open some doors for her. She would actually then start playing with some men's 
traveling teams. Uh, they did, uh, they, they've had a couple of events to honor her. Um, I think some of the family members were there, but I think she died in the, uh, you know, in the mid-1990s. So she really wasn't, but, uh, you know, that connected with the, the current iteration. But, uh, you know, the Saints definitely played a part in her uh, her early years. That's an awesome connection where just even participating in that little clinic would have been really pretty eye-opening at the time as a black woman to be able to participate in like a, even a youth clinic at that time was probably unheard of. So, you know, and when the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League started, you know, the league of their own in the 40s, they wouldn't even allow black women to play too. That's how segregated baseball was. Yeah. You mentioned Dave Winfield. There's other um, famous athletes and stars from the Twin Cities too. I know Joe Maurer played for the Twins and he was another great catcher. And what, who are some of the other folks that are talked about in the museum? Paul Maltor grew up in St. Paul. Jack Morris, uh, you know, product of St. Paul. And he actually pitched for the St. Paul Saints as well. Uh, near the end of, at the very end of his career, he kind of made a comeback, I think in 96. You know, so he got to pitch for his hometown team and he did actually very well. He was, you know, past his major league career, but uh, it was kind of a, you know, cool thing to have him there. And as I said, it's really been kind of a second chance uh, place for uh, for players like Daryl Strawberry, who felt like he was blackballed from the majors. And, you know, really, thanks to Mark Goldkline, he did get an opportunity to resurrect his career and then went on to help the Yankees win three championships. That's what indie ball and minor leagues in general can kind of do is really resurrect careers or people that really just play for the love of the game and they're holding on into their thirties and they, they can still play. It's just maybe not to that caliber, but if they have a good season or if they are a fan favorite, then that's, that's really special for them and for the fans too. So it's been great that the, the saints have had all those connections over the years and so many parts of baseball that, and even other sports too, like George Hallis and um, some of the basketball folks too. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, there's so much history there. And the, uh, so I think people will be very surprised to see the this remarkable connection with these legendary figures, whether it be Babe Ruth, Charles Comiskey, Duke Snyder, Roy Campanella. They all have had some type of Saints uh, you know, relationship. Can you talk about some of the artwork that's in the museum? Because I thought well, that was really neat. I'll link to the web page that specifically talks about that on the sure. website in the show notes. But that sounded like kind of a cool project to put together along with the museum. There's several art components as well. Uh, absolutely. So we happen to be friendly with uh, probably the preeminent uh, baseball artist in the country, Greg Kreimler. And uh, we commissioned Greg to do this incredible color portrait of Hallis playing for the 1919 Saints. Greg also did a, uh, a piece that uh, showed the 2019 celebration of the Saints after winning the American Association for the first time in 15 years. And Greg's pieces hang in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was commissioned to do a whole series for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which is really, really remarkable. So it's really cool to have his work in there. Back in the day, sports cartoons were such a huge, huge part of uh, the media landscape. And uh, Al Pappas was a, a local cartoonist who, who did cartoons for the Sporting News. So a lot of his work is displayed. Then we have these art balls, in which uh, which is really cool. We have saints, people with saints connections who have made the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, guys like Leo DeRocher, uh, Duke Snyder, Comiskey, Bill McKechnie, the manager. 
you know, and now many Minoso. So we have some original artwork on these baseballs, uh, kind of the portrait and also them, you know, playing for the Saints. That's really neat because you have those baseball and art connections housed in the museum and people can really learn. And that's that's the purpose of museums in so many ways is education. And you've worked in several different industries, it sounds like, and had a lot of neat connections with museums. And I just want to get your take on the impact that that has on people where they can really learn about black baseball, about women in baseball, about several different aspects of American and international culture through museums. So what kind of memories does that bring up for you or what are some of the impacts that you've had over the years? Yeah. So I mean, baseball definitely mirrors American history. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the integration of, of baseball is really, you know, was a prelude to the civil rights movement. You know, St. Paul played a huge part in that, too. Uh, there was a, a neighborhood in St. Paul called the Rondo neighborhood, a very black neighborhood, uh, where a lot of great, great athletes came from. You know, as I mentioned, Campanella integrating the American Association. I mean, Branch Rickey purposely sent him to St. Paul because after Jackie Robinson had integrated the International League uh, before joining the Brooklyn Dodgers in 47, um, he thought that the minors, the, you know, this huge minor league, the American Association needed needed a, a powerful black player, and, and he chose Roy to do that. So there's just so many connections, you know, with the, with the social history of, of the country and just how, how baseball really, um, you know, particularly in St. Paul, has uh, been a major, major part of that. This has been an awesome conversation, and it's been really cool to hear a lot of stories from you and how you really helped put the museum together in St. Paul. And I've learned a ton about the history and the different connections and um, how it was started. And now the the current iteration is the AAA affiliate of the twins too. So are there any other last stories you would want to share anything you would want to plug as we wrap up here? I think one of the big things is they are going to be commemorating their 30th year since they've been reincarnated, uh, they, you know, 93 when they came back. So there's going to be a lot of promotions tied into, uh, you know, there are three decades in St. Paul, as I mentioned, Kevin Millar, who uh, just had this really storied history, you know, and now with MLB Network, but he owes, he's so indebted to St. Paul for giving him this chance. He was not a drafted player. He was almost out of baseball until he, the Saints took him on. Uh, they're going to be retiring Kevin's uh, number 15 this year. Uh, so that'll be a pretty big thing. And we're working on some other pretty cool promotions. Lefty Gomez, maybe one of the greatest pitchers of all time, was a St. Paul Saint. So we're working on some new exhibits really kind of tying into uh, his St. Paul connection. I mean, he was the winningest pitcher really in the 1930s. He was the Yankees ace, you know, just a, a legend. And, and funny as hell, you know, he was, he was known as Goofy. So he kind of fit right into that St. Paul Saints fun is good mantra. But uh uh, there's just a lot of uh, cool things that uh, the Saints right now are, are preparing for. That's great. I'm excited to link to some of those items on the show notes. And I think maybe we'll have you back some other time and talk about more stories and talk about maybe how this season went. Thank you so much, Dave, for your time. This was such a fun conversation. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate you having me. I had heard of Tony Stone before I spoke with Dave, but had no clue she was from the Twin Cities. Tony was one of three women to play in the Negro Leagues which were a group of professional baseball leagues for black players from 1920 to 1960. You can learn more information about the Negro Leagues in episode 15 of Hallowed Ground when I spoke to Raymond Doswell, VP of Curatorial Services at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. Now, on to Tony's remarkable life. Tony Stone was born July 17, 1921 in St. Paul, Minnesota. However, her birth name is Marcinia Lyle Stone, 
It was unclear in my research when she chose Tony as her name. By the age of 16, Tony was already playing with an all-men's semi-pro team, the Twin Cities Colored Giants. Tony moved west in 1946, playing for the San Francisco Sea Lions, which is a fabulous name for a baseball team. She then joined the New Orleans Creoles in the Negro Southern League and played with them for four seasons, from 1949 to 1952. From there, Tony was signed by the Indianapolis Clowns of the Negro American League, the top level of black baseball. The man she replaced at second base? None other than Henry Aaron, who'd just been signed by the Braves. The Clowns signed her at first to raise their ticket sales, but Tony could play. She would often play parts of games before being removed, but she hit 243 in 1953, a very respectable batting average for anyone. She surely heard hurtful comments from opponents and fans, and the media coverage focused on her appearance, plus her own team lowered her age in publications and exaggerated her educational background. Her contract was then sold to the Kansas City Monarchs, where she played the 1954 season before retiring. After Tony left, the Clowns added two more women to their squad, Connie Morgan and Mamie Peanut Johnson. Deservedly so, Tony gained proper recognition for her pioneering baseball career later in life. She was inducted into the Women's Sports Hall of Fame and the International Women's Sports Hall of Fame in 1993. Tony passed away in November 1996 at 75. You can learn more about Tony's life and connection to the Twin Cities at the Black Pioneers exhibit within the City of Baseball Museum. An incredible baseball woman. You can find the City of Baseball Museum online at cityofbaseballmuseum.com or at CHS Field in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'll link to the museum's website and more info on Tony and Yogi in the show notes for this episode. Thanks to Dave for being such a fun conversation. I hope you enjoyed episode 23 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. Make sure to subscribe to Hallowed Ground on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss our next one. Also, leaving a five-star rating and review helps this podcast gain exposure on those various apps. Thanks in advance. Until next time, sports fans.